0: Welcome to a special from the Rooker End on what was a special night here at Watford Palace Theatre another Tales from the Vicarage this evening we had the company of uh, only one player but that player was John Barnes my first footballing hero Um, I'm of an age where I when I watched him at Watford I couldn't tell you about the tacticalness of it but I remember him making me feel excited
1: he was he was Some player. I mean, uh, as you'd expect at this event, there was uh, a bit of audio-visual stuff. Adam Leventhal using his uh, Sky Sports box of tricks to to put some clips up on the big screen and... Look, there's no no two ways uh, uh, of describing it. John Barnes was sublime. The, what he looked like with the ball at his feet was just absolute poetry in motion. He was he was magical. He didn't have it didn't have to be a good ball. They showed um, a goal against uh, Chelsea, which I think was one of Adam's favourite. And the ball from Luther wasn't actually a great ball, but it didn't have to be a great ball for John Barnes. He could just pick it up almost from standing still, and then off he'd go and he'd beat a man or he would just whatever. He was just born to do it. He was one of those guys who was just put on this earth to play football his fluidity he was you know his poetic almost balletic the way he sort of could beat a man and it was just a joy to watch and a joy to relive his his, his what for career which what, it, it was only six years which he, we got reminded of of tonight and uh, but i think like you john there's a lot of us of our generation he was our first footballing hero and it was great that uh, you know, everyone's probably got the same sort of photos or can remember the same pictures of John Barnes skipping down the wing sort of in motion and uh, yeah, it was huge, it was, a real, it was a real nice evening and I think the, the love that he had for Watford was, was evident as well tonight, it was it was great just a thrill to see him in action
0: uh, We spoke to a lot of people after the event uh, one of them being Adam Leventhal from Sky we'll hear from him later on but at half time, Mike, you got to uh, have a chat with the main man himself
1: Yeah, I did, yeah, I spoke to, uh, spoke to John Barnes <laughs> me and John Barnes alone in a dressing room <laughs> Screams the uh, Sun headline on the on Tuesday morning. Um, yeah, it was great. Uh, what what I really liked about about him was that he was upfront, he was honest, and that was not just do it in our chat, but throughout the evening. I think he he didn't swerve any any questions, and uh, he gave a real valuable insight into into what life was like under, uh, under Graham Taylor with with Elton John there, and what it was like to be a Watford player during that incredible time in the eighties. But yeah, real genuine privilege to talk to. him. <laughs> Okay, well it gives me great pleasure to be welcomed at half-time by none other than, than Watford legend, John Barnes. John, how are you?
2: I'm very good, thank you. Nice to see you.
1: So John, you've done half of your show, half of the show tonight here at the Watford Palace Theatre. How
2: was it for you? Not long enough. because You can talk about Watford for years and years and years. I mean, I've been here for such a long time and there's so many stories that I think that we need five hours, not two
1: is there is there a story that you won't be able to tell on the on the stage tonight that you can share with uh, share with our listeners is the one that you might keep secret
2: absolutely not if i can't tell it on the stage i can't tell it there i can tell it because there are lots of stories but um of course you have got young viewers listening as well so we can't tell any stories
1: very sensible very sensible so john you had it's six years at Watford. can you name the most memorable moment in that time
2: there are a lot of memorable moments but i have to say the most memorable moment is when we got promoted to the to the first division. We played Wrexham at home and then the fans came on the field and then after was incredible. Of course, the cup final, playing in Europe, there are lots of, there are lots of great moments. You know, and I always say, I don't look at any individual moments and, and prioritise them over any other because it's the consistency over a period of time to show you the team and the, and, the, and the player you are. So my six years at Watford and Watford's journey from the fourth to the top division, regardless of, people may say, and obviously for myself, I was in the second and the first division, but for someone like Ian Bolton, for example, who came from the fourth to the first division, you know, you look at that whole period would have been the special moment, not just the one year in the first division because you had a journey to get you there, which shows you the character you actually are. So never look at any individual moments. I'd have to say my six years at Watford.
1: And we heard we heard at the, st- at the start of your career, you were tra- training with QPR, which a lot of people might not have, have known. And you're actually a QPR supporter that you uh, you admitted to us out, out there. How do you think life would have been different? How do you think your career had been different if you had joined QPR?
2: Well, I'm not a QPR supporter. I used to go now and again. Um, and we don't know. You know, how do we know what would have happened? I could have played for QPR and I could have played for England when I was 17 and now got 150 caps and been, you know, gone to Barcelona. We don't know. We don't know know because I always believe in fate and what happens is meant to happen. So I believe I was meant to come to Watford and not QPR. But how do we know what would have happened had I gone to QPR?
1: And you also mentioned that you got your debut coming on as a substitute against, it was Oldham, Oldham, right? And, And that was because Luther got sent off. Are you grateful for, for to Luther for getting sent off that time? Do you think your Watford career would have taken longer to take off as it had it not been for that red mist from Luther up at Newcastle that time?
2: Yeah, but once again, um, very much like if I'd gone to QPR what would have happened, we don't know. Maybe Luther would have been sent off but maybe I would have taken another three games before i got gone the team and I would have scored 30 goals that season instead of 13. Listen, to wonder what could have happened and how it would have gone, we haven't got a clue. All we do know is what did happen, and I'm happy with that. Fate that
1: right. works, that works for us, John. I mentioned Luther again; he crops up a lot. Obviously, he's bound to, and he got that move to to Milan. Did your, you were having a bit of success, Watford were having a bit of success, did your mind start to wonder then as to, not about leaving Watford, but as to what you could achieve as a footballer at that stage?
2: Absolutely, but I just completely and firmly believe in Graham Taylor and believe in what he told me, and he told me when you're ready to go, I'll tell you when you're ready to go, because Graham Taylor loved all his players and he does what's right for his players like he told me I had to go to Liverpool, rather than saying stay at Watford, because as much as he's Watford's manager he also cares about the players, and as much as I thought, because I was playing for England at the time, I'm 19, I scored the goal in Brazil at 20 and I'm like, I'm going to play for Barcelona, I may be thinking Thinking that, when Graham Taylor says to me, I will let you know when you are ready to go and what you should be doing, I completely put my, my whole trust in him.
1: So my next question was going to be, how difficult was that decision? But it sounds like Graham sort of made it made it easy for you.
2: Yeah, I mean, I would have been happy to have started Watford. And in fact, you look at the the effect Watford has on all the players. Ko Luther actually came back from AC Milan to Watford. He could have gone to Man United. And, you know, then what could have happened to Luther had he gone to Man United and coming back to Watford? But that's the pull that Watford actually has. So if Liverpool moved in, come out, I'd have been happy to stay at Watford. But, you know, I was young, I was naive. And Graham probably felt that, well, you know, Watford's story is not going to be one of, you know, finishing second in the league as we did in cup finals because it's just a special period of time and you have to be here at that period of time. Now it's time for you to move to a club where you will then be able to fulfill the potential you actually have to be challenging at the highest level all the time, which is what Liverpool does and Watford couldn't do. I didn't know that because being naive, I thought, well, Watford are just going to be challenging and being in the top five of the first division all the time and stuff like that. So that is where Graham was very good because, of course, Luther came back and, and, and went to Watford and, you know, maybe if he'd gone to Man United, his career would have been even better than it was. And with me, I would have been quite happy to stay at Watford, uh, but who knows? You know, I, I, I don't think I would have become the player I did or had the success I've had had I stayed at Watford and not gone to Liverpool. Sure,
1: if ifs if and buts were sweets, then that's right. Uh, we, Watford supporters are hugely, hugely proud to have, have seen you in the in the yellow shirt. I think Adam said at the top of the show this evening, one of the most skillful players ever to wear a Watford shirt. And and people, when we look back at the clips of you, it's you get goosebumps. You, the hairs on the back of your neck stand up when you see you play. Uh, but I think there is. There's there certainly some Watford supporters who feel like we've lost you a little bit, if that makes sense. And we've heard you to not talk tonight so far about Watford in glowing terms, and it obviously means that he means a great deal to you. Do you regret the chance you don't get to talk about Watford like you're doing tonight as often?
2: Yes, but. People aren't interested in Watford as they are in Liverpool. Mm -hmm. I don't live that. I now live up. I've been at Liverpool for ten years, and I live up north. On my family are up north, so I'm not really. Had I, I, if I was down here more often, I'd obviously come to the games more. But of course, now my life has taken a different, a different direction. So I'm a northerner, and I live up north. And you know, Liverpool is my home. But anytime I get the chance to talk about Watford, I do. But unfortunately, not many people these days are interested in it. So obviously, if I'm doing what I'm doing. I have to talk about what people want to talk about. (laughs) You know, if they're asking me about Liverpool, they're going to win the Champions League, I can't go, yeah, Watford are going to be in the top 10, hopefully.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we get that. We get that. Let's let's go back. We're going to put you in charge of Watford. You're You're the head coach. You can sign one of your former teammates that you played with at Watford during those six years. You can sign them for your team today. Who would it be? How long have I got? Because to be honest with you, Watford head coaches don't last too long these days. so. <laughs> okay, let, let's pick up on that then, John, because yeah. you have been a little bit, it's fair to say you've been a bit critical of the of the setup at Watford at the moment. Um, has, has your opinion changed on that? How, how do you see things going at
2: the moment? I'm, I've never been critical of the setup at Watford, because when I talk about setups and I, I talk about football generally, and what I do say is that for any environment, you need a stable environment to be successful. What I've actually said, which has not been critical of Watford, which has been very, very pro-Watford, is that, Watford has survived in a way that you're not supposed to survive. Because you're not supposed to change your manager. You're not supposed to have all these players on loan. But what I've said is that Watford have done that. Which is like the most unusual way of doing it. What I do know is that for long-term success, you can't keep doing that. It has worked in the last four years of changing the manager every year. And then changing the players every year. And it has worked. But that is not a recipe for success. Graham Taylor will tell you that. Graham Taylor will want to be have a manager who's in complete control. Who the players will respond to. And, and you have players who stay at the club. But as, I, as I've always said, Watford are a unique club in that they can do things the wrong way and survive and be successful.
1: Well, we've always been a bit quirky, right?
2: Because well, uh, I think under Graham, we, never, we didn't necessarily do things the way that others did. No, 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 we're very, I mean, in terms of the way we played, maybe. But in terms of the stability we had of, of the players and the manager and the, and, and, the, and the staff and the fans and everybody being together. Um, no, Watford weren't, weren't quirky in that respect. Whereas now, and, I, and I've said it for the last three or four years, when people are talking about a way not to do things. Watford does it, but it works for Watford. Sure. But I don't think you can continue doing this for the next five, six years and, and it working. You really do have to get some stability at the top and also from a playing perspective.
1: We've got Marco Silver in at the moment, and obviously we're only three games into the season. What do you make of, of Mr. Silver and what do you think of, of Watford's chances this season? Well they're doing well again.
2: But of course, you see, and also I always I always um, when I talk to fans about supporting the club and being positive, I remember when Paul Walsh had his testimony at Portsmouth. And he stayed up last game of the season. And then he had 25,000 or whatever it was to turn up. Because Portsmouth stayed up last game of the season. Whereas Watford are in the top 10. And then they drop away in the second half to finish 13 or 14th. And everything is all negative. But if you say, are you happy with 14th spot or whatever, you are. So, once again, Watford have started okay. But what you want them to do is to continue to do that. Now, to continue to do that, does it mean you're going to be in the top 5? So, is it is it and is it better to start badly and then finish well? I always think it's better to, to start well. And if you have to finish badly and become comfortable mid-table or 10th or whatever, take that. I think that Watford will obviously do that. I think they'll be mid-table. Maybe they can push on a bit higher. It's also what are the expectations of the fans. And I think the expectation of the fans should be to try and push into the top 10 if they can. But if you're going to finish 13th or 14th, be happy with that. Just a note on your career, what's next for What's next for John Barnes? Who knows? Who knows? I'm working in the media. At the moment, I'm doing some travelling. I've had 280 flights in two years, travelling all over the world. I'm in South Africa one week every month, China, India. So I do travel a lot, uh, but if I can get back into football, why not?
1: Just, just so I keep saying, it's going to be the last one and... We've got to take advantage of speaking to John Barnes when you can. You, you've been around the world a lot recently. What's the word like on Watford in South Africa, in India, in China? Is is the word
2: getting out there on Watford a little bit? Are there people starting to recognise the, the yellow and red badge again? Yes, because of the Premier League. The Premier League is huge. So, of course, what has a, a value and um, recognition from the club perspective is obviously the Man United, Liverpool, Arsenal, Chelsea, Manchester City. But the other clubs are growing because of the Premier League the Premier League is so huge so for example when we were in Hong Kong for the Asia Trophy once upon a time it had been Liverpool Man United AC Milan on a local side there was Crystal Palace West Brom and, and Leicester and of course that would never have happened five years ago it was only the big boys who have a, a profile abroad whereas now because of the Premier League all of the other clubs are getting a profile abroad
1: John Barnes an absolute pleasure to have you on From the Rookery End thank you very much indeed
3: you're welcome A podcast made by Watford fans, fans for Watford fans, from the rookery end.
0: It was a theatre full of people and full of Watford fans, Uh, so let's hear from a few of them. Uh, First up, uh, a man who went on stage with him, because the best bit, Mike... I think for me the bit that, the bit that tickled me the most let 's say was when uh, Adam got what for fans on stage and recreated photographs that had taken with John back in the 1980s it was by it, 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 it was silly and I do love something a bit silly
1: it was really nice as well there was like a, from a visual point of view, it was great, so Adam had got the the guys to share the the images in advance, so they were up on the big screen at the back and then John Barnes, who he' got to say it was a real real sport, he really got into it and was was very bit of a stickler actually he was making sure they reenacted the poses as uh, <laughs> uh, um, as, uh, as accurately as possible and yeah it was, it was a great sight a real, real bit of fun and just a reminder of like why we love football really but the, the, these, these guys are now grown up these guys and girls are all all grown up and they were once starry eyed kids idolising John Barnes and ultimately we're still starry-eyed kids idolising John Barnes and our our footballing heroes. So yeah, real nice moment.
0: Uh, So let's start off with uh, lots of different views from Watford fans. The first one is uh, uh, Matt Rousson who went up on that stage uh, to recreate uh, a a picture. I started by asking Matt about how the picture came about. (laughs) Remind us where the picture was taken originally. The picture was taken at the Woodside
4: Sports Centre, I believe. It was a family enclosure Christmas party in 1986, I think. My memory of those parties, I mean, they were great. They were they were just, just typical of the club at the time, as we've heard so many, in so many ways this evening. My aunt was one of Anne, Stewart, Anne Swanson's helpers, a steward in the family enclosure, and she always wangled it so I was on Luther's team. And, and the, if you're on Luther's team, you learn very quickly that winning wasn't as important as cheating. And you know, there's no glory in winning a fair race. You had to trip someone up or, or cheat and he would, Luther would plan meticulously but yeah uh, the, the picture that I recreated was taken from that from yeah. that occasion
0: yeah. now how, do you remember how you felt as you did it like you, you know, having you photograph you were a, a, a young lad yes. um, and you having a picture with John Barnes yes. do you remember how you felt in that moment yeah
4: nervous for two reasons firstly that the previous year I'd been there with a great big Polaroid camera and tried to kill John as he was obviously in a hurry and he'd been quite snappy with me as this Polaroid camera sort of warmed up and hissed and fizzed, and <laughs> and so I, you know, with a more sensible camera the second time around, I was anxious that he wasn't going to he was going to be short, but no, it was it was lovely, it was great, and the, the pictures the pictures are still a nice still a nice picture. He's 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 a, you know being the pro and. And putting his arm round me, and yeah, it was a, it was it was special. It was good.
0: What do you remember about John Barnes when he was when he was here for you as a, as a young Watford fan? He was he was magical. There's
4: a generation, folk of, of my generation. I know, you're you're a younger gentleman, John. So a, um Have a sort of romantic view of Watford or what, of what football's like, born of that time when we used to. You know, I started going at the time when we were first knocking good teams out of the cup competitions and then beating good teams in the league. That's what it was like. But John Barnes. Was what made it magical. It was it was more than just beating these good teams. It was beating them with something really special. And and John says he, he you know, heard a lot tonight about him not remembering those goals. I remember I remember those goals. <laughs> the one against Chelsea was I was right behind him as he hit it, and I saw it arc over in and and go into the top corner.
0: It was it was really special. Afterwards, I spoke to a friend of the podcast, Alice Arnold, about what she thought about the evening. It was uh, surprisingly enjoyable, very funny. Uh, John came across really relaxed. Entertaining some good stories, some very funny one-liners, a few quite cringy moments where uh, <laughs> um, he said a few uh, quite amusing anecdotes. One about Elton John in the train, in the changing rooms, that particularly <laughs> tickled me. But yeah, it was an excellent evening. What do you remember of John Barnes, the player? Well, I was only sort of eight, ten, twelve years old, so I I, I do have memories of him, but. I kind of wish I'd been a little bit older to appreciate it a little, bit, a little bit more. But yeah, clearly just you know him dribbling down the wing and just being amazing and being heartbroken when he left.
3: We're the Orns, you're the Orns. Come on, you Orns!
0: I caught up with our friend Kieran. Uh, you might have heard on a, a lot of recent podcasts about what he thought about the night. As well as after him, you hear from Andy Lewis from Hornets Nest Blog. To get his take on uh, on it as a, as a very young Watford fan, what did you think about
3: John tonight? Oh, he was excellent, wasn't he? He is the showman that he always has been. Uh, superb, getting him. I have to be honest. I said to you guys in our WhatsApp group that whatever you do, please don't ask him about rapping. But clearly, he still thoroughly <laughs> enjoys it because he was up there shaking his backside and absolutely <laughs> loving it. But no, it was it was brilliant. You know, I love hearing from older footballers. I think this sort of thing in 20, 30 years' time is probably not going to be particularly interesting for your modern day footballer because they are so you know molly cuddled Um, and John Barnes played in an era where players were given that freedom and went down the pub and and had a laugh and he told some really interesting and some quite funny stories as well
0: You're a very young man you probably never saw John play for in in a yellow shirt so what what do you think of tonight?
3: It was really good the last Tales from the Vic before volume 5 was my first live Tales from the Vic so uh, I've only been to one and obviously that was four or five on the stage so it was a little different it was the first one with uh, just one member on stage but I was discussing with you in the interval you get a far more in-depth in-depth view of, of their life their backgrounds and uh, it was. I found it really interesting yeah. um, so the
0: depth was really good and like I say there was a bit I think in the, in the previous one where you've got four dice It was uh, Tony Cotan and there were all the and Bill Wilkinson and uh, and it got slightly competitive with stories near the end, but actually getting a little bit deeper understanding about John when he came over and that you know his initial time in England. That was the most, that bit really really grabbed me. Is there anything else that you remember from the or you enjoyed the most?
3: I think sort of the background, because like like you said, I'm well, I'm only 24, so as John would point out, probably a bit of a spring chicken compared to him at the moment. Obviously, I wasn't around. I wasn't fortunate enough to be around when Watfords were uh, flying high in the 80s. So to hear all those stories about. How he came to be at Watford we've all heard the story about the selling or buying him rather for a kit from Sudbury Town and so hearing all of that from the man himself was was really interesting because I like I'm a bit of a nerd at times I like delving back into the archives reliving reliving the well, I say reliving the 80s I wasn't around but going over it listening to the stories in Hornet Heaven writing the stuff for the golden pages of um, past matches etc and to sort of hear it from a guy who's been there and lived through it was, was really cool.
1: I also got the chance to speak to uh, John Anderson, journalist and reporter who's seen a lot of John Barnes, not just playing for Watford, uh, but playing for England as well. So it was really fascinating to uh, to get his views on, not just tonight, but John Barnes' career as a whole.
5: Well, it was a thoroughly enjoyable evening. I've always liked John Barnes' Quite apart from the obvious of being a Watford fan and coinciding very much with that with golden period under Graham Taylor, where, of course, uh, as he himself admits, you know, almost reluctantly he was the superstar of the team. I think if you ask most Watford fans, uh, he would be pretty close to the club's greatest ever player in most of our minds. But I, I like the fact that he's, he's slightly irreverent. He's a little bit different, perhaps, from what you expect at these nights. He's, he's spontaneous. I like the fact that you know he, he openly admits he doesn't remember half of the goals he scored. He doesn't even remember particularly well the one he scored for England against Brazil at the Maracanã. So, um, you know, I, I find that sort of thing quite refreshing he gave us a few laughs but he's also he gave us some fascinating insight into graham taylor and his ways of operating so all in all yeah it was fantastic what what you got from john barnes was was an interesting perspective because of his background his father being in the military and being in the diplomatic corps uh, obviously being raised in jamaica but not um, perhaps jamaican in the sense that For example, like Raheem Sterling, a very raw kid who comes in. John Barnes a very disciplined guy. And I think um, he said that Graham Taylor liked players that would do what he instructed them to do. And John Barnes, for all his flamboyance, was certainly that sort of player. So there was an instant rapport there. As for the relationship with Elton John, I mean, which Watford fan would, would not have wanted to be a fly on the wall when Elton John comes in traditionally at 2.30 and says, good luck, lads, and all that. And Graham says, not now, Elton. Can you please go away? <laughs> I've got more important things to worry about. That was a great story. I mean, you know, but just the image of this billionaire superstar rock star being sort of told,
1: to leave the room like a naughty child is is fabulous. Graham Taylor, almost certainly the only person on earth that could get away with yes. the, doing that to Elton. Um, John, you've been a Watford fan for for a little while. You you were lucky enough to see see John Barnes throughout his career. I mean, I, I don't know about you, I'm sure you're the same. When you watch John Barnes playing for Watford, you get that enormous sense of, of pride. Really, that mm. it's still the, the hairs on the back of my neck go up. He looked like he had the ball on a string. He just he could just do whatever he wanted with it. I know there's a there's a there's a few Watford supporters who feel like perhaps. He's lost his sort of Watford identity a little bit and he doesn't talk as much about Watford as he does perhaps his, his Liverpool days. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you and, and, and your experience in, in the media and your fellow broadcasters, when people talk about John Barnes, he's obviously an England player, there's obviously um, the Brazil goal. Is it usually John Barnes of Liverpool as opposed to John Barnes and Watford? I take your point. I think it's
5: understandable, to be fair. I mean, nobody's going to pretend that Watford is a bigger club than Liverpool. John Barnes, don't forget, played in the last Liverpool team to win the title. Uh, Won the FA Cup with Liverpool uh, as well was a a big England player some might argue not necessarily a a great England player but I think it was a thick end of 70 odd caps wasn't it so I suppose it's inevitable that people want to talk about it it's a bit like Graham Taylor to be honest Graham himself would have admitted that you know the majority of the people in this country were probably more interested in his England career than his Watford career which is understandable I mean obviously being Watford supporters you want to hear stuff about the club so that's what's so great about tonight I mean John Barnes perhaps hasn't been perhaps as close to the club well he did admit didn't he that uh, he would have he would have wanted if if he'd ever had the opportunity to come and manage the club and you know jokingly said it would have been better than five minutes at Celtic so that would have been interesting wouldn't it but to be fair John Barnes is a multifaceted character I mean I think he was very gracious about the way that uh, the club looked after him the way that he became instantly part of the family the way that the older players respected him from the word go the way that Graham Taylor nurtured him looked after him and, and and gave him free reign to do what he did so brilliantly well, but also with that key element of discipline. And you just get the impression that John Barnes, um, with a combination of his father, being the the disciplined army guy and Graham Taylor with the way that he went about things. You had the perfect combination, really, of a brilliant flair footballer, but one with the discipline to to, to not get carried away with it. He said he didn't like showboating because his father wouldn't have approved of it. I don't think Graham Taylor would have approved of it. Having said that, Graham Taylor would tell him go and beat your man and as John said he didn't tell him how to do it he just said do it and as long as John Barnes was following the instructions correctly then that was uh, what was so magical about it so in, in some ways it was a marriage made in heaven wasn't it you had Graham Taylor with his with his brilliant uh, vision and John Barnes the player who was able to execute it.
0: Of course, uh, right then, Like night, we got to speak to uh, Adam Leventhal. Uh, you know him in the week uh, as that fellow of Sky Sports News. Uh, but actually, as Watford fans, we know him as uh, the, the man who fronts these Tells for the Vicarage live events. And he uh, and, uh, did a, a, another fantastic job.
1: Yeah, it was. Uh, I think the question on our lips was how would it go with just one one guest? Because the, all previous events have had uh, a plethora of, uh, of ex-Watford stars. So that was... I think maybe there's a bit of trepidation as to whether it's going to be as entertaining and it was, would it flow quite as nicely as the others. But yeah, Adams a, Adams a pro, and he, uh, unsurprisingly, the night the night went in a flash, and it was just full another night of, of reminiscing, of sort of hearing behind the curtain of what life was like at Watford, and some lovely stories about Graham Taylor, which is particularly poignant at the moment, and some great stuff about Elton John, and just about you know what life was really like as a Watford player. We all grew up watching them. And just to hear these sort of candid stories is, is like real. It's a real honour. It's a real privilege, and really fascinating stuff. It's good.
0: Right, let's see what Adam thought of the uh, of the evening. Adam, we look at, we look out across an empty Watford Palace Theatre. What was it like when it was full?
6: I thought it was um, a fantastic evening, which was completely different to the other ones that we've done because you're focusing on an individual. You've got the opportunity to let their answers breathe, to explore a little bit further, and I thought that it was. Um, It was a treat for me to be sat opposite him but I think also for the people who were watching who might not necessarily have heard him speak at length about Watford in the past to hear the the passion that he has still for the club and some of the the insight that he was Able to give into his time at the club, I thought was was fascinating.
1: There was a definite warmth, wasn't there, amongst and uh, from Watford fans here. As as is always the case with these tales from the vicarage, the the, the warmth from the from the crowd is is evident straight away. But it, it was it was there with John Barnes as well, wasn't it? And I think there's a few out there on social media perhaps chattering about wondering how much affinity John Barnes still has for for Watford. Evident, wasn't it tonight? Yeah, there might have been people out there complaining
6: that he doesn't talk about Watford. He was in Watford talking for, what, an hour and 45 minutes about Watford. Got a standing ovation at the end from Watford fans in Watford. And after the uh, event as well, spent probably about another hour signing autographs for Watford fans in Watford. If people need to be converted about John Barnes for any reason, then if they were here in the room, they won't have any argument where his, uh, his loyalty still lies. You can have split loyalties. Mm-hmm. He went on to have great success at Liverpool, won the title at Liverpool, won cups at Liverpool, won personal awards at Liverpool, won the majority of his England caps at Liverpool. But it all started here. And what we learnt is that the passion that he still has for that time and the foundation stone that Watford was in his life and his career isn't going anywhere you can't say that he doesn't love the club because that was just it it was it was lo- love
1: was everywhere love love was in the air uh, this evening and the,
6: the, you know the standing ovation at the end it's like well love it
1: what, what i really enjoyed was he and this is no criticism of, of previous interviews but what I, what john really did and i think perhaps because he was on on his own mm. is he was able to bring to Life, what life was like working under Graham Taylor. Real put some meat on the bones as to what a training session was like under Graham Taylor, because we all know he was disciplined. We all know he's hardworking. We all know he's honest. But what he, what he was able to do was actually really articulate what life was like as a Watford player under Graham, didn't he?
6: Yeah, it was really, really hard. I think, and it got the results. Um, there was that one anecdote where he said that yeah, you'd have a really, really hard training session. It would be, you know, minus ten degrees or whatever. You wouldn't be wearing tracksuit trousers. You'd be in your short shorts, really short shorts, <laughs> if it was a John Barnes' case. And then after the session, having run yourself into the ground, you didn't have to sit down and listen to GT, analyse the training session. And he said it was, it was as if sometimes you weren't even allowed to shiver. And I just thought that it was it, that insight and how they, they set up the training sessions. And also, you just look, you, you saw his, his mind whirring and reengaging sometimes with with that time and the fondness that he had for for some of the moments but also yeah the grounding that he got at the club which was which was based on on GT but also the life lessons that he got from from GT as well you know being humble um knowing that your your teammates all do individual jobs but you're all working as a team so he, he struggled to pick out one person that that Sean or his his the, the most impressive Watford player that he played alongside because they were all a unit and a community. And he looked back also at those great times when they were in the community doing crazy things and the, this is your life for GT and him dressing up as a, a pregnant lady and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, I thought it was, it was really, really interesting.
1: It was great, he reminded us, I think again how lucky we are to be Watford Sports, some of the characters that he spoke of, Mo Johnson and and, um, George Riley and and those nights out. So lots of colourful characters we've spoken about a lot, Tales from the Vicarage, what's next, who can we expect to hear from next, what's in the pipeline? So next
6: up, November the 12th will be the launch of Rocket Men, which will be the sixth volume and we were able to give People a sort of a little bit of a preview tonight with our with our goodie bags and uh, you've got a poster, you've got bookmarks.
1: Bookmarks they still exist and I love them. Which They're so been, important. As people walked out, we just saw someone trying to stick it in his Kindle. He was looking a bit <laughs> he was looking a bit confused. He just chucked it on the floor and walked off in the end.
6: <laughs> um, so that is, that's next, and obviously the next event is in is in November. So we'll have uh, Blissit, Bolton, Jenkins, and Sherwood, who are the the Rocket Men that rose from through the divisions and John Barnes has uh, penned the foreword for that book um, so that's next 2018 2019 2020 I don't know I really don't know I mean I, I don't know I don't I'm know I'm going
0: to say Glenn Hodges I'm going I'm oh, yeah. to keep going <laughs> but
6: there are still ca- there's still characters out there of course there are that had tiny moments in the club's history that that can still have a great story to tell so there's plenty more tales to tell don't you worry
1: Well done, another superb night.
6: Thank you very much for having us. Thank you, gents. Great to have you on board once again.
0: Uh, We've got another Tales from the Vicarage uh, event coming up on the 12th of November when the brand new 6th edition of Tales from the Vicarage comes out. It's called Rocket Men. Uh, it's the focuses, uh, as well the, the books always refocus on different things every single edition, uh, focusing on the four men who uh, were with Watford from the 4th uh, Division to the 1st Division, that's Old Money Kids, uh, Steve Sherwood, Ross Jenkins, Ian Bolton and Luther Bliss. And all four men are going to be here uh, as part of the launch. And we can't get you there. We're not that good a podcast. Uh, It's been sold out. It's sold out within minutes. uh, But we can get you a copy of the book.
1: We've got two to give away.
0: Two to give away. Your entries have to come to podcast at fromtherookerend.com. Email only. uh, And the question that you have to answer is, which one of the players debuted for Watford first? Was it Lisa Blissett, Ian Bolton, Ross Jenkins or Steve Sherwood? Who played for the first in Watford first? Uh, We've got two copies of the book and the first two uh, correct answers will win a copy of uh, Tales of Vicarage, Rocket Men, uh, which comes out on the 12th of November. Thank you very much for listening. We'll be back next week with the post-Man City game. Mike, you're looking forward to Watford playing Man City last time we did it? It wasn't that
1: much fun. I was thinking about that game the other day. It was absolutely horrendous. Two goalies on the bench, 24-0 down after three minutes. The whole thing was uh, was ghastly. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to heaping a bit of misery on Manchester City, poking Pep Guard earlier in the eye, and Watford continuing their push for the Champions League.
3: Go on! John.